Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 261. I'm your host, Eric Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli, CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, what's going on today? All right, before I get into what's going on, I'm just going to say I think I miss congratulating you on like your five-year anniversary, right? So at 260, that's 52 weeks times five. So you've put out at least... Five years worth of podcast, Eric. So congratulations on that. So hmm. not everybody sticks with it. Uh, you are absolutely sticking with it. So congratulations on that. Great work. Yeah, thanks. I I I, I didn't really catch that. But you're you're good with the you're better with the the prime numbers and the numbers and all that I stuff. I stopped doing the primes. You thought that was no value. So now I'm bringing up your anniversary. But speaking of numbers, Derek, this is the sixth week in a row that I'm going to say another week and another new all time high. We even closed the week at an all time high on the S and P again. I mean, it's getting a little old, right? I told you I was going to keep track of it, but there we go. I think I saw a statistic on Bloomberg that. We the market has been up fifteen of the last seventeen weeks. Fifteen of the last seventeen weeks. This is a fairly uncommon occurrence. There is plenty of optimism in the air. It feels like. Yeah. Well, and don't we have the uh, the ridiculous? Uh, I'm not going to call it a wager, but I said the market will get to fifty one fifty. Before it gets to forty nine fifty, is that is that you took forty nine fifty? It was forty nine hundred. It was forty nine hundred fifty one fifty. And looks at the, when that happens, you're playing Van Halen. I don't know how you're going to work it out and get the right copyrights, but you're playing something off. You're going to get me thrown off the air. Why can't this be love? You're just going to crank it up there. Do you remember when uh, Conan O'Brien when they took the Tonight Show away from him? And that last week before he was off the air, he was showing. Uh, unpaid for NFL highlights. I was like, this is going to cost NBC a ton of money, but I don't care. You know, <laughs> you just, just, really, just take it down. Maybe if you if we could find a bootleg version and uh, do something to in honor of fifty one fifty. I think there's actually if you if it's so many seconds or less, then then you can play it. Okay. All right, we're going to work it out. I'm going to find it out. That's going to be your your you look. You're going to win the bet, and then you're going to have to do more work. So congratulations on that. Yeah, congratulations to me. All right. Well, the other thing that's up is, and by the way, I'll just mention to the audience: like we're not trading off that. Trust me, we buy and we hedge. That's but no. It's we're, just, we're happy to be invested in the market, right? Not timing, time in, not timing. Kind of that kind of a right. That yeah, trying to pick tops and bottoms. You want to be in the market because over time, the markets tend to go up and. You get these runs, and while maybe nobody thought this was going to be the run when we bounced off 4,100 uh, at the uh, – I'm looking at the day. It was November – sorry, October 27th, mm-hmm. you know, and you're up 1,000 points from then, right? That's pretty – let's, you know, rounding that math out, it's 25%, 24% were up. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. No one else isn't bad. NVIDIA. Let's talk about NVIDIA. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you not? It's the, the the big talk, and it's probably driving a lot of this move. They are on the doorsteps of being a $2 trillion company. So the, it's called the market cap for anyone who's not familiar with this, but we'll, we like to teach on this program. You take the number of shares outstanding times the stock price, and that equals your market cap. Uh, Microsoft is $3.06 trillion, Apple $2.85, NVIDIA $1.96 trillion. So, so they're, it's third. So they're ahead of Amazon, Google, Meta. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, so they're number three now. Is that what you're telling me? Third number, largest company. Third largest company. They're number three. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, they're, they're up quite a bit. Um, and I was going to do this later, but since I'm talking about market cap, in, imagine that Microsoft and Apple and everybody else just stayed flat, didn't, didn't move over the next year. NVIDIA would have to go up about 56% to reach a market cap of $3.06 trillion, assuming that, you know, no share buybacks, no share issuance, and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, there's about a 14%, 15% probability of them doing that over the next year based upon the options market. So there's still a decent gap between NVIDIA and Apple and NVIDIA and Microsoft. Like 56, 52%, whatever the number was you just said, is, is still quite a bit of appreciation. But I think NVIDIA is up 50% this year, right? Almost? Oh, yeah. Close to it? Oh, it's got to be. Well, look at their one-year earnings growth, too. Their one-year earnings growth, they're up 584%. Their earnings have grown. Microsoft is 0.21% one-year earnings growth. You know, it's... I mean, look, this is what happens. This is why we say buy the index, though, because what over time, different companies are at the top of the index and then maybe they fall out of favor or whatever. Or new companies come along and it's sort of this this morphing thing that that always happens. And that's why you own an index, because it just sort of self-selects this, you know. So I don't know. All right. NVIDIA, Jay, this is this is one of those things where. A lot of people are calling it a bubble. Uh, I'm going to speak for you for a second, and I normally wouldn't do that, but neither of us know what the stock is going to do in the future. Like we, it could be a bubble. It could not be a bubble. Like who cares? But we know it's it's been going up quite a bit. I Goldman Sachs had a graph, and you know we've talked about PE ratios. Uh, PE is your price divided by the earnings per share. So if you're trading at 20 and your earnings per share are two, you're trading at a 10. PE. And there's a forward PE, meaning what's the next year's estimates by the analyst and your price divided by the next year's anal- analyst expectations. You can do a trailing PE. What's the price divided by the previous four quarters earnings? Jay, in Goldman Sachs's chart, they, they show a couple of things. They show since 2019, the average forward PE, forward meaning what's the estimates going forward, are about 40. And what's kind of interesting on this chart is as NVIDIA's price has gone up, NVIDIA's forward PE has come down. What, and I know you you looked at this and you had some thoughts already. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it to you and I'll come okay, back. Yeah. So, so when, you, when you think about this, right, you, you mentioned the components, price divided by earnings. There's two things there. And we all just talked about the, we, we all know, and we just talked about how the prices increased so much this year. Yet the price to earnings has come down, right? So it's it's where is it landing right now, Derek? Like the PE ratio is where somewhere thirty five ish, kind of is that the range? Yeah, the on a forward basis, forward it's right basis. around thirty three, thirty three okay. times next year's earnings. But yeah. the average is forty, and there have been times where it's been over sixty. Correct. Correct. And so. In order to get that PE ratio down, the E in the denominator, sorry guys, third grade math here, the E in the denominator has grown faster than the P in the numerator has grown. And so this this has dropped. And so if you were just not knowing anything about what was going on with the stock itself, you would look at this and say, compared to its historical pricing, 
it's probably cheap, right? It You could have more appreciation in the price and you'd still only be at the average. And I'm not saying go out and buy NVIDIA right now because it's a forward estimate, right? It's not a trailing, right? It's kind of looking forward on what they're assuming is or they're, they're projecting is going to happen with the stock. And we all know that there's plenty of reasons that that could go wrong or where something could go wrong versus their projection. But yeah, this is fairly cheap. So while the stock is at, you know, this all-time high, to see the forward PE multiple come down is quite is quite a thing. It's it's I think this is, you know, fairly rare. And it's because why? Because their earnings expectations have grown so much. And it also means that the street wasn't really properly projecting the earnings, right? The E was understated before and now it's shooting up you know, pretty dramatically, which is causing this ratio to drop, right? So again, price divided by earnings, all the driver, everybody knows how these metrics work. I'm glad you brought that up. And and while this might seem new to a lot of the audience, wow, has any stock ever... Remember back in the, you know, early 2000s, companies like Amazon and Google and, and Microsoft, they all, you know, let's say... Maybe not Microsoft as much, but Amazon certainly had a high forward PE. But if you bought them, they they sort of grew into their earnings, meaning like, you know, in hindsight, it was probably cheap. Now, there's plenty of companies that were, you know, got cheaper or got worse or, but, and and I think you said the key thing, Jay, there, that it, these are analyst estimates going forward. And analysts have under uh, forecasted, let's say, what the... I mean, we just we just sort of gave it away. What are their earnings up? Five hundred percent year over year? That's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's it. So this is the 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 whole thing with this is if if you thought like, oh, I'm going to wait for Nvidia to get back down to five hundred dollars before I buy it, or six hundred dollars before I buy it, which a lot of people obviously have been buying the stock in the last couple of days, which pushed its price significantly higher. You know, this is not. It's not from this particular metric. It's not expensive, right? If for it to get back to its average, two things can happen. The P would go up, meaning the price would go up, or, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, well, to get back to the average, it would mean the E would have to uh, uh, go down, right? So in order for the PE multiple to go higher, the denominator could either go lower, right? So the estimates would have to drop, or the price would have to drop. But uh, sorry, would have to go higher. So I don't know. All those, I don't know. I think I just got that backwards, Dark. So, Clean me up if I got that wrong, but um, it's it's if you're waiting, something pretty significant is going to have to change if you want to hold this. Now, look, if you're as you just said, Derek, if you're in the indexes, which is something that we always talk about, if you're in the S and P, if you're in the Nasdaq, you've already got your you've got exposure to this, and you've definitely benefited from your exposure to this. Is look, you're not up fifty percent or sixty percent, whatever it's up right now for the year, but a lot of the push higher, as I started out talking about the. Uh, you know, sixth week where I'm saying a new all-time high, you're getting that benefit from uh, in that index. So you didn't totally miss it if you were waiting to buy it. Yeah, no, I agree. By the way, thanks to uh, Toby is the per, uh, person. Uh, thank you, Toby, who sent this over to me. It's a good chart. The, you mentioned, you know, people already own this in the indices or the indexes. So somebody is, has SPY exposure, you own this. If you own the Qs, you own it. So there, there's been this debate about whether there's too much indexing or whether indexing is going to, you know, not allow for price discovery. And it's, this is a, a, 
a good case to look at because I guess if if those not indexing are buying this stock, it sort of forces the indexes themselves, and i.e. the the ETFs that own the indexes, to buy more of it. You know, it's, this is a weighted index, so the higher the price, the the greater the market cap. Let's say, the more it uh, the more people have to buy. So, and this is why indexes work too, because in, while they're not trend following, they're not technical analysis. It's sort of like the more momentum something has and the higher it goes, it sort of builds on itself. Like you want to own the stuff that's going higher, not the stuff that's going lower. But I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. On the index, that's my thought. Generally speaking, right? Like this is like, I'll say this and I've said this before, like this is a little bit of a, it's not even a dirty little secret. It's it's kind of the unspoken secret about our industry, right? If you're going to do it yourself and you're not sure what to buy, buy an index, right? Like it's the advice I give to everybody that doesn't have the need for, you know, specific advice or specific way that they want to kind of uh, allocate their money, right? Generally, it's the, it's, it's, it beats most money managers, right? Buying the S&P over time will beat most money managers. Um, I'm not the only one giving this advice. Warren Buffett gives that advice all the time. You know, I think, isn't it Berkshire this weekend as well? I think they might be having Is it meeting. this weekend? It could be. I think I saw some stuff come out about it. But uh, yeah, so like, look, that's it. Like if you're the do-it-yourselfer, right, just you will be hard-pressed to outperform the S&P 500 over time, right? It's, it's the advice I give to everybody who's just starting out, who's got a little bit of money saved, you know, uh, it's not until you start to get closer to the time when you're like, look, now I have cash needs or I have some protection needs or, hey, I want something that's more aggressive than the market because I've got a slice on my money that I want to outperform that you should get, you know, some professional management. But, you know, we're believers in hedging and protecting. And uh, that that is because at certain times in somebody's investing life cycle, that's necessary. But for people just starting out, like the advice we gave the boys, uh, the Gen Zers that were on a few weeks ago, right? Buy the index. It's fine. It's going to solve most of your problems. So that it takes care of a lot of these things here. The S&P, the QQQ, you know, the, the NASDAQ 100, most, most indexes, the majority of them are market cap weighted. So the, the larger companies, the Dow is the exception. And the Dow is a little bit weird because it's price weighted. So whichever company is, is the high, has the highest price, even if they're one-tenth the, the market cap of everybody else, they're weighted the highest. And I don't know if you saw, Jay, this week. Was it this week or last week? Amazon is going to replace Walgreens and the Dow Jones. But it was the same time that Walmart is doing a three-for-one stock split. So when you do a stock split, that company's weighting is reduced because the stock price is th- one-thirded, right? Only, only uh, for the Dow, right? But the other- Only for the Dow. It's only different. For the Dow. Yeah, yeah, it's just weird. Because I know- most people, we assume we say the market, we, we, it's the S&P, but you know, they still show the Dow on like the morning news. I don't know why. For some reason, those 30 stocks that they rotate through, uh, you know, people still pay attention to it. All right. Good luck to the Dow and Amazon joining them. Jay, I want to continue with NVIDIA though, is just when you look at the earnings per share growth, so I think it was 12.96 EPS over the last 12 quarters forecasted is about 23.79 going forward. So that's almost 100%. The analyst expectations, the consensus is almost 100%. It's mind-boggling, right? 
I mean, just yeah. say that again, right? Like it was 13 and now it's almost 24. Like Correct. this is, yeah. I mean, these numbers, this, this quarter were, you know, I, can I, I'll add one thing, right? Everybody thought leading into this earnings announcement, the price was inflated, right? Like, ah, it's going down. There's nothing that can sustain that move ahead of earnings. It's way too optimistic. And it was not, right? It actually was understated when you see numbers like this, when the EPS, you know, basically is doubling. Well, revenue is not quite uh, expected to double, but uh, trailing, so actual, was $61 billion in revenue. And expected four quarter forward is, you know, about 107. So it's still pretty huge. That's that's a pretty, and their gross margin. So gross margin is, uh, it's basically your, your cost of goods. Uh, about 75% forecasted gross margin, which is huge. And even if I look at their net income, uh, their trailing net income into their revenue, it's about a 55% net margin. That's that's pretty good. That's like I mean it was thirty two, right? So net net income, right? The net margin there was what it was like thirty two percent, right? So every fifty five. So thirty thirty two billion of revenue into sixty oh, yeah, sixty one of yeah, sixty one of revenue, net income of uh thirty two. So that's roughly fifty four, fifty five, right? Wow. Yeah. There's just huge numbers on this thing. And normally you'd you'd say, well, if somebody has really high profit margins that encourages others to come to the area, you know, like, Hey, we're selling Coca-Cola, but there's really good margins over there. So we should do semiconductors. It's, this is kind of more of a specialized thing where, you know, if streaming services were, were netting 55% net profit margins, Coca-Cola would be like, yeah, I think we could do a streaming service. We'll find somebody to do it. You know, it's <laughs> the Coke channel. Yeah. You buy, Coca-Cola you buy, uh, you know, a 12 pack of Coca-Cola, you take the, the UPC code off the, the thing and you get, you know, a dollar off your streaming. They'd, they'd be in this business, but, um, you know, it's not the way it works. Now, if you go to the 26 fiscal 26, 27, 28, I mean, the, the, they're not forecasting that same rate of growth, but it's still growth. I mean, they're still growing. Um, they kind of get more of a terminal rate of growth, 27 to 28. But, um, and you know, you mentioned the, we, we talked a little about the EPS and the forward price. The trailing P is 60.77, or at least it was, I think yesterday. And the forward P 32.76, Jay, like 32.76. I'm not saying, I don't, I mean, who knows what's cheap and expensive, but when people say this is a bubble, like that doesn't seem like a bubble. What do well, I know? Well, now when its average was 40 and going into this earnings number, it was 60, a 60 PE, right? 60 so trailing, now, 60 trailing, 60 yeah. trailing, right? Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. it's going in for 32 going forward. That doesn't, that's not bubbly. Yeah. Watch the stock. We're going to have 500 points tomorrow. They, you know, like good. Look, if you want to buy Nvidia, buy it. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. We don't know where it's going, but you, if you own an index, the good thing is you've experienced the growth through the index and it's no, you know, maybe we could mention that it was, it gapped up. What did it gap up? About 11.19% after the after, earnings on after Wednesday. Earnings. Yeah. Right, right. Closing that next day up 16, basically 16 and a half percent. And the S&P itself, because NVIDIA is such a, a big component of it, it's the third largest stock. The S&P was up what? Like 1.7? Was it up almost 2% that one day? Yeah, it was up almost 2 Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. 
I want to talk a little. We usually use uh, wait, one one point on this. Yeah. One, right, we talked about Nvidia going into earnings, right? And you talked about. I don't know if this is where you were going to go. If you're going to change topics, but we, you know, there. talked about the options market making some level of predictions on Nvidia, didn't we? Uh, I think we did. Let's let's do it now. Yeah. Okay. So when we we were talking about the the skew, right? How calls look more expensive than the puts. So we said, like, even though you know, this has moved so much, the market has an expectation that'll go up. You know, you mentioned the gap up of 11%, but where, where it finished, right, the next day, it was up, what, 16, 16 and a half. Um, so the options market, as frothy as it was with, what was it, like 180 implied volatility, which is very, very high. You only get that right around, you know, an earnings or a big news event, right, that's normally it trades, what, 45, 50 of implied volatility. Right to to have that more than triple, and it still wasn't enough. Right, it ended up exceeding that move that the options market was predicting. So, as much as it moved, and as much as sorry, the the move was kind of predicted to for the size, it still was even significantly more. I mean, that's how big of a surprise this was. It kind of surprised everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> I would agree. The, the expected move, by the way, and let me make sure my, my math is right. I think we, I, what I put on my sheet is not. But uh, you take the implied volatility, 182.84, divided by the square root of time, which is the square root of 252. Why 252? Because it's the number of trading days in this year, uh, divided by 15.875. So basically, the, the implied move is 11.5%. 11.5%. And actually, now that I look at my math, uh, it kind of got the gap right. It got the gap right. It got the gap right. It's true. And I remember seeing it after hours going, eh, it's a little short of where we think it may be. I remember watching, you know, we were uh, one of our strategies that we run sells calls on. Nvidia. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so we had sold calls on NVIDIA at the, I think, the 810 level and 820 level. And uh, we said, well, it looks like those calls are going to be, you know, out of the money come Friday, but still a good move. Cover calls a bullish strategy and the stock had moved up. So still good, right, for that strategy. But by the end of uh, Friday, those, you know, those ended, you know, below 800. But at one point, those were in the money when it popped up to 820. So, you know, like you're, you're right, Derek, that the, 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 the options market got the pop right, Um but then what happened after that, the continued move uh, uh, over the next, you know, day and a half, continued to press higher. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we're, the, the 182 implied volatility was on the options that expired Friday the 23rd. Earnings come out after the close on Wednesday the 21st, meaning if you're buying or selling options before the close on Wednesday the 21st, you don't know what the earnings are yet, but the earnings are priced in, the ex- expectations on the earnings are priced into those options that expire just two days later. So, you know, talk, I guess, you know, with the covered calls is interesting too, because there, especially if you're selling more short-term covered calls, you're actually, you know, this is where the short-term captures some of the excess premium. You know, uh, if you're selling stuff that's near to expiration, it, it's more reflected in, so you're getting paid, based upon the earnings coming out. And then if your options are above where the current price is, you've got the appreciation and the the premium received for those. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. 
Uh, yeah. So uh, the, the concept behind a cover call is you're willing to give up some of the upside to get paid for the kind of the expected move, right? The implied move. This is where the term implied volatility comes from. But you take all the downside risk, right? It's like owning a stock, right? All you've done is maybe offset by the amount that you brought in from that call that you sold. So that is the kind of give and take when it comes to a cover call strategy, which by the way, cover calls have been around for years, right? It's the first option strategy most people learn. It's a strategy designed to generate income off of, you know, the holdings that you have, uh, option income, I should say, uh, right? It's not, you know, you know you're giving up the upside when you're in a covered call situation, but you're, you accept that give up when you're selling that call for the income. That's your compensation, right? And if stock goes down, you'll lose less uh, than if you had not done it. If the stock goes up, you may make less. You may make more if it doesn't go up too much, right? Like there is a sweet spot about cover calls when you understand the risk dynamic on cover calls, which is you're still bullish because you're still on the stock, right? The worst thing that can happen to you is not that the call goes on the money. It's that the stock drops significantly. So even if it goes up, and when we had sold those calls, I think we were 10% out of the money. In that scenario, you know, if in two days NVIDIA went up, you know, 10 or 15% and it got called away, you know, there's there's not a lot of traders that are upset making 10 to 15% in two days, right? That's a nice risk-return ratio for you. But that's the give up. That's the dynamic of a covered call strategy where you get paid for giving up some amount of the upside. Now, there's some the way you implement the covered call strategy is all can be very different, right? You can sell for the most amount of premium, which is right at the money, and you'll get no upside appreciation, just what you earn from selling the calls. Or you could give yourself some upside capture and get that income. That is the way we generally do it at Zega, uh, unless there's a specific scenario where we want the stock to go at a certain price. In that scenario, you want the most amount of income. But generally speaking, at Zega, our philosophy is markets generally go up. We want to capture that, but we also want to get paid a little extra in that premium. So that's the idea and the risk reward of a covered call strategy. Look it up if you're not familiar with it. And even if you are familiar with covered calls, they get kind of interesting once your calls go in the money, right? Now, what do you do? Let's now that's we could probably do an hour oh, on what to do there. when your calls Don't go do in it. The money. <laughs> what to do. But I'm that's not. where, you know, whatever, 25 years of trading uh, Zega comes into play. Really, actually, across our five traders, there's probably 140 years of options experience <laughs> placing those trades. So I think it's one of those things that it is. Cover calls are easy until they're not, and then you go, "Uh oh, what do I, what do I do here?" So, I think you're anchored, by the way, in in from a couple of years ago, because I I think I'm at 31 or 32 years. Oh, you 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 yes, you have a few more than me. That's true. That's but true. I think you're more than 25. I guess I might be now that you say that. Thanks for that. You, you <laughs> it actually it is zero. <laughs> that doesn't stay stagnant just because we we said it one time. Because we you keep know saying I mean? it. Listen, I got to get compliance to reapprove the new number. Apparently, yeah, we keep getting older. That's uh, plus twenty five plus. Oh, I'm thirty plus approved. now. So yeah, there you go. All right, I want to talk about earnings. Let's go yes, there. Okay. I want to go. Enough about Nvidia. So here here's a. All right, I'm going to be a little sarcastic about this. No surprise that when analysts, uh, with all the earnings that beat this quarter that have come out, and then you know ending with Nvidia just smashing their numbers, analysts are raising their expectations. This is so uncanny that analysts, when things are going well, they raise their expectations. When things are going bad, they lower their expectations. Jay, I mean, uh, our audience can't see this chart, but you know we've got a chart of 
what are the expected S&P 500 per share forward, you know, 12 month estimates, the, the forward two year, the forward three year across the board. They're like, nope, earnings estimates are going up. So the forward PEs went down, even though the market's up. Because E went up, the earnings estimates went up, Jay. But this is uncanny that, like, I'll bet you if you threw a chart of this against the market, they would look the same. You know what <laughs> well, I mean? Well, look, I mean, you, you, nobody says the analysts are perfect. I, I mean, it's they're not. They're not right. Um, it's like you know, the, the your meteorologist, right? It's, uh, it's at times I think the meteorologist is more accurate than than uh, uh, market analysts. But yeah, this is. You know, markets going up. People are getting more optimistic. You know, there's a lot of tailwinds in the market right now, and so they're given an excuse to push forward earnings up. Sure, and they've—I mean—they've moved a fair amount, right? I mean, uh, this this pop that we have, even just the next twelve months, right? The forward estimate moved what just a week and a, a week ago, week and a half ago, when we were talking about this. It was two thirty, two thirty five earnings per share. Now we're up over two hundred forty two dollars earnings per share over the, on the S and P over the next twelve months. They're you know right as you get to all time highs, it's it's makes sense that they would push your earnings higher. Yeah, but this goes to the original point: was what can happen to change a forward PE? The price can come down or the earnings estimates can go up. And this is a case where the market went up, but estimates went up more. And so the PE actually dropped. The PE so, dropped, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So this this con you this has been something you've talked a lot about the last, you know, month, month plus, that it's not just the P, it's the P divided by E, right? And uh the expectations. Uh, of, uh, of what the market is uh, pricing in uh, can change. And it's unknown, right? And that's that concept of the multiple. You know, we, we hear from a lot of fundamental analysts that, you know, you know, whether the market's cheap or the market's expensive based on this price to earnings ratio. But, you know, there is there can be optimism that exceeds that. And it could turn out to be right that even though it was it actually was uh, was cheap or wasn't cheap, right? I mean, it, it because these things change, right? The forward look does not, should not, it, it's it's too, you have too many things, too many, I'll say variables to give you any kind of certainty when it comes to using PE ratios for your investing. And I think that's a point you've been kind of making recently when you show how earnings have some correlation. I've always said earnings matter to the price of the market. And you've said, yeah, but, you know, the when you get the information doesn't necessarily line up. I remember uh, analysts get a bad rap too. And, and sometimes, who was it? What was the guy? Michael Kerlack was at Merrill. And this was in, in the late 90s. And he was, you know, a lot of these tech stocks that had no earnings, no nothing, they kept going up and up and up. Well, you know, he basically, his price targets were way below where the markets were. I'm doing this from memory. And he used to get like calls from the brokers being like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, this, I, and I get this, you know, secondhand and, and thirdhand too, from people who are there. But I remember reading it. Like he was, he was a really big analyst in, you know, back then on the street. And I think he followed chips, probably followed chips. If you Google it, you, you probably, uh, yeah, I, I just Googled it. 
So we left Merrill. Um, Kerlak dodged by lack of respect following Intel flip-flop. I don't, no context on that. But it's hard because if you're an analyst, and even if you're right in the long term, if price is going up or, or price goes down, I mean, it's good luck making predictions. It, it's a tough game. But anyway, I, a little sidetrack there, Jay. But let's let's get back to the earnings thing. I, You had challenged me, not really challenged me, but two weeks ago, we were talking about how stock markets one year to the next go up or down and earnings from one year to the next either grow or decline or, or are flat. And we were saying it really doesn't matter. Like the market's forward looking. I went back and I looked and I said, I think I did this from 89 or from 90 forward. And I looked, is there any correlation between the S&P total return versus the trailing? So, you know, what were the actual earnings? Uh, so let's say in 2022, what did the market do? And how much did earnings grow from 21 to the end of 22? And Jay, there's only about an 18.5% correlation, meaning what the market does, and I ran a regression and a scatter plot and all this stuff, all versus fun the stuff. Earnings, growth, earnings growth, there's there's not really a correlation. And then I did the same thing, though, and I said, well, what if we took the market, let's say, in 2022, and I did this for each of the years going back to the 80, 89, 90, what was the market in 2022 and what was next year's actual earnings? And was that a better predictor, predictor of you know, why the market went up? Okay, the correlation almost doubled. It went to about a 34% correlation. A, bit or better, a little bit better fit, you know, and for those uh, you know, st- statisticians out there, the R-square goes from about 3.4 to, or 0.34 to, to 0.116. But I wouldn't say there's any predict, there's not a lot of predictive value well, in here. I mean, it's kind of, there's, yeah, there's a little bit more correlation going, you know, taking the year stagger. I thought it would be higher. So I guess I was kind of right, right? A little bit. No, but, I mean, but still, you're right. There's still plenty of times where, uh, you know, you have uh, a change to the negative uh, on, on earnings, but yet the market is up. And then the vice versa, right? Where you have, you know, the market down despite earnings being up fairly dramatically. I'm looking at this one data point. I don't know which year it was. I got to look in your chart where the, you know, EPS went up 30%, yet the market was down, you know, 11 or 12. So it's, it's you know, I'm it matters kind of. It's really more about the expectation of the market. But I think if, you know, you when the, I, all right, now you ready for the next challenge? When it really trends together, do they stay together? Right. And I'm looking here. It's the flip flops that get where the, I think the correlation gets missed. But, um, you know, four or five years of growth in earnings also have four or five years of growth in the S&P. Right. Like those kinds of, you know, when you could cluster those together, maybe that's where it is. And it's the turn that seems to be off. But I could be wrong about that. Like 2008 is interesting. So you go you go 2007. So 2007, the market's up only five point four nine percent. And 2008 earnings declined by 14 and a half percent. And then 2008, the market's down 37 percent. 2009, the decline was 26.38 percent. And then, you know, 2009, the market's up 26.46. The same year, their earnings declined 26 percent, but earnings next year were up 40 percent. So I, I think in that case, the market was pretty forward looking. You know, it, I think that's not bad. 
if you go to 2019, where the market's up 31 and a half, 2020 was down 12 and a half percent earnings growth. Now you could say, well, the market didn't get that right. I mean, okay, the market didn't know that shutdowns and all that stuff. Yeah, it was coming. Know, yeah, yep. all that coming. So, yeah. But in general, I think it's it's really, I mean, you and I, I think would agree, and I'll ask you, over time, earnings go up and over time, the market goes up. And we know that earnings in the end, at some point, have to sync up with the market move. And I think earnings go up over time. And I'll bet you if you did a chart of one against the other long term, they'd probably be pretty similar. So what's that mean? You, 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 you're saying they matter a little bit, but just you don't know when? I'm saying as long as earnings are going up in the long term, you'd expect the markets to go up in the long term. Got it. Uh, that, by the way, of course, that makes sense. Nothing. I'm not saying anything that's had any value to the audience right now. Like, <laughs> like, but just, I don't think, I think people get too, too caught up in this, this earnings versus the market. And I mean, we know the market, what troughed, what was it? October of last year? Yeah. Yeah. I just said it right. October 27th, I think. Yeah. So it knew the market was smart enough, smarter than everybody. It knew that earnings were going to uh, recover that interest rates probably, uh, you and I can argue about, well, I don't, I think we're on the same side of this interest rates may get cut, but actually let me pivot to that for a second. We have a, we have a little time. I think everyone is too focused on this whole, when are they going to cut? What's the number going to be? I think the most important thing is that they're just not going to have aggressive raising anymore. That's it. Like it doesn't matter if they cut 25 basis points or 100 basis points. It's just if the if the hiking cycle is is done, I don't know where you are on that. It doesn't matter if they cut. Like the market doesn't need low interest rates to go up. Yeah, so where I am on this one I'm I'm with you. I I think it's the the chances of them raising rates are are, are fairly low, like single digit. There's always a chance of anything cuz you don't know what can happen, right? Uh, it, they, but it wouldn't be uh, due to economic growth. It would have to be the inflation number, right? That has been their trigger, right? Those, they've, they've got, you know, two mandates, right? And, uh, you know, one of them is the inflation number. So the, the, it's, they don't call it that, right? What do they, how do they state it, right? It's, it's optimum employment and what, stable currency or something, essentially. Stable prices and employment yeah, something or like something. That. But basically, yeah. they're talking about inflation. So, uh, yeah, like, that. I mean, so there's, you know, inflation popped to 6%. Yeah, I think they, they could. But low chance of that. Nobody's predicting that, right? There's, I mean, very little money on that side of, the, of, of that bet. But- I don't know, Derek. I think I think it matters how many uh, when it's extreme, right? The market started the year talking about six. You and I thought that was way too much. I think that number is now down to four or three cuts. Um, and the time of the first one also matters, right? So that's getting pushed out more and more. I think you and I have been in the camp of, all right, there, there's – well, I think you're in this camp. Here's my camp, which is they're, they're probably going to have to do one of them, at least one – and it might be more for optics and they're probably going to wait till they, you know, get closer to say September, right? We may get nothing. Now the market is not putting money on that. The market is giving a 90 plus percent probability in June or July in that time frame. So I'm on a different spot than the market, but the market was also saying, you know, 
March was pretty much, you know, a foregone conclusion, and now it is not. So when do we get PC? This week, right? Is it uh, Friday this week? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. Right? That's the number that they use. You know, they don't use CPI, but CPI is, you know, usually a pretty good hint as where PC is going to come in. So, uh, you know, so so look, you're right. The mar- They don't have to lower. I'm still in that camp. But, you know, now it comes back to the yield curve conversation, which you and I have gone through multiple times, right? How does that normalize? And the market is not giving really uh, any credence to uh, the idea that Fed funds stay here and the longer end of the curve gets higher than uh, uh, than what we're seeing right now. So, yeah, I don't know, Derek. I think uh, the, the, the unwinding of the inversion is going to be uh, interesting. I think maybe something for next week, we could talk about how long this inversion has been uh, compared to other times when the when we've seen you know uh, uh, the, the the yield curve inverted like this because it's been a while. Are we going, we're going on over a year at this point, right? Or we're close to a year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, this is the outer edge of where we would expect to see a recession start post post uh, yield curve inversion. Yeah, maybe Nvidia stops the recession. I keep going back to ninety four, ninety five. The you last, do? yeah, because I mean, Fed rate hiked rates, no recession. Eventually, they they lowered a little bit. Like that's my scenario here. Fed hiked rates. There's no recession. Maybe they lower a little bit. They don't have to though. I, I still don't know why they need to to lower rates. There's no reason to if the economy is growing. It's not unheard of to have this, you know. Fed funds in this five range. It's not even that growing. high. That's the thing. You yeah. know, we the whole 1990s we were we were around here. So it's yeah. I also am a, I'm a contrarian on if they lower rates, that it's going to cause more inflation because of housing. I don't agree with that. I think supply is sort of constrained right now because people can't, you know, give up their their three percent mortgage to go to a six and a half or seven whatever it is now mortgage. Right. So. Right. Higher rates are actually causing inflation because it's constraining supply. Yep, we've talked about that kind of kind of perverse reaction because of rents and versus owning, uh, you know, buying property, those kinds of things for sure. Yeah, they may lower CPI by lowering rates. That may happen. Yeah. All right, I'll save our discussion of the Himalayan money market uh, instruments for next week, Jay. Looking forward to that. Let's go to, uh, we got some recommendations. Let me throw it to you. Uh, So just starting to get into some of the newer shows that are coming out. So I started watching Halo. Sorry, I may give my little video game addiction away on that one. So on Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's okay. Not not. Uh, it's more of a review than a than a, than a recommendation. It's okay, right? It's if you haven't watched the first season, it's just a unique thing. If uh, if you're not watching that, um, I definitely there's definitely some good shows coming out here that uh, that I want to keep an eye on. I watched uh, Death and Other Details. I think that was the uh, uh, that's on. Oh boy, I think it's on Hulu. I've been enjoying that kind of a murder mystery. Uh, pretty, pretty good, pretty well done murder mystery show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, I can't, the superheroes and the video games, I can't get into, but for those in the audience, you're too serious of a person for that. I understand that. 
No, I love, I like comedies. I wish they made more comedies. Than- <laughs> it is Hulu, by the way. I just Googled death and other details is on Hulu. All right. So I finished watching True Detective season four and I liked it. I thought it was good. It was only six episodes. So we'll give anything away about that. Um, by the way, I want to clean something up. Somebody, I, maybe I, I addressed this earlier on, on an earlier episode, but somebody was like, I can't believe you don't let your wife watch your Netflix account. And it's not that she can't watch Netflix. You each have our own profile, okay? <laughs> or each have our own profile. And so what I did was, if somebody wants to watch on my profile, you have to enter a pin. But there's three po- profiles when you go there. So no, she's not locked out of Netflix. I've not done that to my wife. She just... I don't want her watching on my profile because then I get like, you know, if you love Kissing Booth, you'll love Kissing Booth too. No, I don't love any of those movies. So, so here's just create another profile for yourself, dude. Let her keep watching that one. It's okay. Rename it. It's probably the top. So that's what she's watching, right? So right, it's I, have a, I have a pin on it now. So now she's you on her own. Pin on it. You, just, ah. you put a pin. Oh my gosh. Put a pin on it, you know? So, uh, I also, so here's a, I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited. Uh, F1 season starts next week, formula one racing and F1 drive to survive. The new season is out. So that's on Netflix. You can binge watch it. So that's, that's my binge worthy for sure. Definitely yeah. binge worthy. They did a good job. Did you start watching F1 or you just watched the show? Uh, no, well, it's, it's not the easiest to get. Like I haven't figured out like, you know, with between my schedule and where I can record it and then watch it later. So no, I watched the show. Uh, how do you watch Formula One? Well, it's normally on ESPN, except for the races in the US that are on ABC. So most of the time, at least West Coast, they come on anywhere from 5 a.m. or 1 a.m. to like, you know, 8 a.m. So you tape ESPN or ESPN2 and, and you just watch it or you watch it live. Yeah. Okay. And yes, sometimes it's on ABC, like the races that are in the afternoon, like the Brazil, uh, Miami, for example, uh, the one out by you, that will be on the afternoon. So it's good. I And a lot of people like the, like the racing. I like the strategy of it. Like, oh, you know, they're going to go how many laps on these tires? Oh, they're going to do that. Like, I like the strategy of when you pit, when you don't pit, how long the tires are going to go, that type of stuff. So, okay. There you go. All right. There that's it, Jay. Back next week. See you. Uh, if we get another new high next week, Derek. I think we do. Oh, we're, are we both in agreement? I, I, no, no. I'm still on my 4,900 before 5,150, but I hope you're right. Yeah. Another new high. We've had what, 12 or 13 high, new highs this year, right? At least. All right. We'll let you know what happens next week. (laughs) See you, everyone.